0: are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. You know, I wonder... I wonder if how often we as adults struggle with identity issues. You know, I remember as, as, as a kid, you know, you're going through school and you're trying to figure out what you want to be what you, when you grow up. And you, you see the fire trucks go by and you're like, you know what, I think I want to be a fireman. And, and then the police trucks go, uh, uh, cars go by and you're like, man, I think I want to be a police officer. And then I had my dad, and my dad was always pushing me to be a chiropractor. He's like, son, you want to be a chiropractor. That's what you want to do. Because then you can only work, you, you only work a few days a week, and then you get paid lots of money, and you don't have to work too hard. That's, that's what you want to do. I remember the year was 1978, and I was seven years old. Some of you are doing the math right now. Come on, it's not that far away. And mom and dad took me to the drive-in movie theater. And at the drive-in movie theater, the very first Superman was playing with Christopher Reed. And I had, underneath my clothing, I had my Superman pajamas on. And I was so excited to be able to see my hero, the Man of Steel. And once the movie was over, it was just such a, an epic moment for me. I just, I just, oh man, it was just so exciting to be able to see Superman on the big screen. And then I remember when it was over, I don't know if you've ever been to a drive-in movie theater, but usually you pay to see the one movie, and then they give you a free movie afterwards and get to see a second movie. And, um, and in between the intermission, Mom gave me a quarter to be able to go to the arcade and play a, a game while they were setting up the next reel. And I took the quarter, and uh, she's like, now hurry back. You don't have very much time before the next movie plays. So I ran to the, to the intermission place. And as I ran, I remembered that underneath my shirt, I was wearing the S. So I started running, and as I ran, I just felt the wind just sailing through my hair. And as a little kid, I just took my shirt, and I just went, and I ripped it open. It was one of those uh, plaid snap shirts. You know, I ripped it open, and I threw it down on the ground, and I sailed. And I was awesome. And when I got back, my mom was like, where's your shirt? And I'm like, I don't care. Now, this may come as a surprise to some of you in this room, but I'm not Superman. I, I'm Batman, you know. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is we, we secretly sometimes want to be somebody that we're not. We secretly look at, at different ministries. Like you, you watch Grant up there playing the guitar. and It's kind of like, you know what, that's, that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be, Lord. Why did you give him so much talent? And and Lord, what is my function in this church? What is my function and my role in the body of Christ? I think once we understand that God's plans for our life, God's God's uh, uh, dream that that He's put into our spirit is for you as an individual. And once we understand that that's ours and ours alone, and and, and then we understand who we are in Christ, we have an unstoppable mixture. But Before we can step into that role of really we want to be a blessing to our families, we want to be able to be a blessing to the church, we want to be a a blessing to the community, we want to be a, a blessing to the world, but before we can do all that kind of stuff, we have to first know who we are in Christ. For God created each one of us in this room to be, fulfill a distinct part of the body. David is one of my favorite people in the Bible. But, but, but before David was, was king, there was King Saul. You know what, Saul sometimes gets a bad rap, doesn't he? For what his downfall was, we can really learn from his downfall and grow from it. You see, start, Saul starts out right. In 1 Samuel 14, 35, it says, Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first of the altars that he built to the Lord. Saul had a heart's desire after God. He's like, you know what? I want to give honor to the Lord. I want to be able to build these altars and worship the Lord. I want to be able to understand uh, people to know what the Lord has done here in Israel. But something happens with Saul between 1 Samuel 14 and verse Samuel 15. And in verse Samuel 15, Saul goes on to build an altar to himself. Something changed dramatically in between these, these, this one verse, in between these one, one chapter, 14 and chapter 15. Something happened where, where Saul stops building altars to the Lord and he starts building monuments to himself. See, Samuel sees right through. Samuel was the prophet of the time. And he walks up to Saul and he sees right through this smoke screen. And he asks, asks him, although you were once small in, the, in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? Who builds monuments to themselves? Pride is a byproduct of insecurity. So the more insecure you are, the more monuments you need to build around yourself to make you look good. Are you ready for a tough question this morning? Because you know what? Sometimes I hate these tough questions because it really takes us to that place where we have to really look at ourselves. But I wonder this morning is, are you building altars to God or are you building monuments to yourself? Whose reputation are you more concerned about, yours or God's? If you're more concerned about your own reputation, then you are building monuments to yourself, and your relationship with God is totally self serving. This can be spiritual too. God gives you a dream, and you're just so excited about this dream that God gives you that you become more enthralled with the dream than the dream giver. There's a book out by, uh, I I believe it's Wilkerson, called The Dream Giver or The Dream Maker. What an amazing book! But it talks about how how this guy goes from this place of, of fear to this place of destiny, but yet he keeps his eyes focused on the dream giver. He gives his eyes focused on the Lord. My friends, we need to seek his face. We need to fast. We need to pray. We need to press into the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the number of hairs that we have on our head. Who better than God to be able to turn to, to learn about his creation? The Bible tells us that the enemy's like a liar, he's a counterfeit. He planted a seed into Saul's head, and Saul went for it. Do you know how this all started? It all started through jealousy. In 1 Samuel 18, we see Saul has killed his thousands and David has ten thousands. The people started to sing and give praise to David. And Saul didn't like that because he was the king. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed ten thousands. Look at me, I'm the king. What are you doing focusing on this boy? You need to focus on me. So then Saul started comparing himself to David. And when we start to play that comparison game, nobody wins. The result is either pride or jealousy, and both of them will cause you to compromise integrity. Integrity is so important. Integrity is worth fighting for. Integrity is something, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how many times this happened. Actually, yesterday, we, uh, Cindy and I went out someplace and, and we were talking about... Um, The uh, Christmas Hamper Project with somebody, and they were talking about Community Baptist Church. They're like, Are you part of Community Baptist? I said, No, we're the other community church. We're Cole Lake Community Church. And they said, I've heard good things about that place. You know what? God is doing something, but is it all about me? Or is it all about what God is doing? That's why I was saying earlier, we need the testimonies to uh, be able to get out there. We need to be able to shout from the rooftops the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So David was Saul, truly was Saul's greatest asset. He helped Saul defeat the giant. He beat Goliath. He would play the harp and soothe the spirit that was was inside of Saul. Saul should have been shouting David's praises, but instead he got to that place of complacency. He got to that place of jealousy. He started comparing himself. And when comparison will sabotage your destiny by undermining your integrity. We want to lay a foundation of blessing in our home. Our desire is to see you walk under an atmosphere of blessing. But like Saul, the fastest way to destroy that sphere is to allow bitterness and jealousy to rob you of blessing. God has created you to be you. He's made you unique in oh, how well he knows it. Once we realize that all we need to do is walk in submission to that that we were originally created to be, The rest of it comes easy. As I look out in the congregation this morning, I know a lot of you. And I know a lot of the destinies and dreams that God has placed on your heart. And you know what? There's some pretty amazing people in this room. There's some amazing, talented people in this room. My friends, once we understand who we are, once we understand who we were created to be, it is so, there's so much freedom in that because we don't have to be somebody that we're not. See, when, when I became a youth pastor in Edmonton, I went through a very difficult season. I went through a pastoral leadership change and the pastor that came in, the, the, the pastor that I had, his name, was, uh, his name was David. And David was just the most loving guy ever. And he was so soft, and he was so, like, he was just, he was, he was a cushion. And I remember the very, <laughs> the very first service I ever had in, in, in this church here. He calls me into his office to pray. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll pray. And, and you all, come here. You, so, so I'm David, and, and you're, you're me. And he says, Would you join me in my office for prayer? So I I come in there, and then he shuts the door. He says, you know what, let's pray. And I'm like, okay. So I'm just thinking that we'll just kind of like, you know, God, let's let's just pray for this service. Lord, I just pray that you bless this service. So I, I walk into his office, first Sunday ever, and he goes, brother, let's just pray. Lord, I just ask. And he just holds me like this, eh? And I'm like, oh, my Lord, like, I am so uncomfortable right now. Like, if anybody walks in here, this is just weird. And, and I'm like, I'm going to lose my credentials for this, and I haven't even started. You know, that was David. And then when David resigned, a guy named Kenton came in, and Kenton was an ex-police officer. And he was very cut. He was very dry. He was very, this is the way that we're doing things. And it was really for the church, it was a whiplash, because we were going in this direction. And then, boom, Kenton started leading us in this direction. And it seemed like every single Tuesday we had staff meetings and Kenton would would bring me in and rake me over the coals. And I'd be like, "Man, I can't do anything right." And and I was just like I was just getting it and getting it and getting it and getting it and getting it until finally I got to the place where I'm like, "I ain't taking this anymore." So I remember our poor secretary, she's sitting outside at it, like his office is here and right on the outside of his office is the secretary's office and he calls me in for something. And he starts bawling me out for something, and I said, enough. So I said to him, I said, look, that's enough with you giving me trouble for absolutely everything. I don't even want to talk to you anymore. I said, I think you just want to push me out. And I said, you know what, I I was going to quit. But now that I know that that's your plan, I'm going to stay in this church to make your life miserable. And I said, you are no longer, anytime you call me into your office, I'm not going to come. I never want to speak to you again. I said, if you want to communicate with me, you can communicate with me through email. And if I feel like responding to you, I will. And if I don't, I won't. I said, Jill, you have an option. A, you fire me, but I know you don't got the guts to fire me. Or B, you follow my terms and this is the way that's going to be. So he starts screaming at me, and I start screaming at him, and we're in his office, nose to nose. It's just like, rah, just like this. And then I'm like, that's it. You're not listening to me. I'm done with you, and I'm done with this conversation. And I go, and i got it all planned out. I'm going to grab the door, and I'm going to slam it as hard as I possibly can that maybe, maybe the window in his office will break. I slam it so hard. And I go to grab the office door, and I go like this, and all of a sudden he starts to cry. And I'm like, I never expected that. Like, what, what kind of a ploy is he doing now? What is he doing? How is he trying to manipulate me now? And he says, Lance, he says, please, I beg you to sit down. And I sat down, and it just changed like that. And he says, the Holy Spirit has convicted me. He says, I see how I've been treating you. And he says, I have to tell you the truth. He says, I am so jealous of you. He says, you have more anointing than I will ever have in my life. And I didn't want to see you flourish, so I put a lid on your, on your life. And I'm like, I don't know how to respond. And all of a sudden, Holy Spirit hit me, and I started to bawl. And I said, you know what, I have to repent, because I haven't been giving you the, the, the respect that you deserve as my leader. I haven't been honoring you, and I haven't been standing in that place where I've been praying and fasting for you. So I ask your forgiveness, and we embrace there... And from that moment on is when the church really started to explode with nu- with, uh, numerically because he took the lid off of me and I took the lid off of him and we came together and started working together as a team. There's power in, 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 and I hear this in church scenes all, so many times when all of a sudden you raise up and you become a small group leader or you start to step into something and there's somebody in your group whose heart desires to help you out. Their heart desires to see you flourish, to see things happen. And all of a sudden they start to gain favor and they start to gain some, some, some friends and they start to gain like this, this, this train starts moving forward and we don't like it because the attention is no longer on us. Guys, that has to stop. We have to understand that God is the one who gets the glory. God is the one who gets the honor. And you know what? I, I, as, as that as that pastor who came in as a, as a senior pastor into this church, My, my the, the model that was set before me was that of Hayward. I have never met anyone in my life like Hayward who came to the place who just had Totally, zero restrictions when he just came. The very first Sunday I came here, he's like, Lance, I'm the senior pastor by title, but you're the senior pastor by role. I submit to you, what do you want me to do? I'm like, that's crazy. I, I don't know how to handle that. I don't, I, I don't really know what to, se- what, what to tell you. But the foundation that he laid of this church was a foundation of God, I trust you. Lord, I put my hope in you. And if we can catch that in our individual lives, then you know what? We are going to go farther in Christ than we've ever dreamed possible. There's a great book out there called A Tale of Three Kings. It's an older book now. And it's the it's story of Saul, David, and Absalom. And the author, the author totally nailed me in this book because he states when people read this book, I was reading this during my Kenton time. And he says, when people read this book, quite often they look at themselves as David. You know, Saul's throwing spears at me, and Saul's doing this to me, and Saul's doing that to me. But then he puts it in there. He says, The truth of the matter is there's a little bit of Saul, David, and Absalom in every single one of us. And I went, Oh, not me, Lord. But it's truth. Every single one of us has Saul attributes, we have David attributes. We have absolute attributes and we need to get in that place where we say God Remove from me God, what is not from you And allow me God to be that man or that woman after your own heart Allow me God to be able to serve you Humbly God allow me Lord Jesus to be able to be me because Lord When I understand that I am the only me in this world Then I can step into the destiny that God has me Freely Once we not only know who we are, but we're excited about who we are in Christ, then we can step into the destiny that God has for us. And believe me, it is totally exciting. How do I know that? Because nothing about Jesus is boring. David was destined to be king. He was prophesied over as a little kid by Samuel, but he had a problem. Not just a little problem, a big problem, that is. Saul is now hunting him down and wanting to kill him. So we, find, we read that David finds himself hiding in the crags of the wild goats. Now, let's just stop right there for just a second. As a man, and we're doing a man of adventure right now in, in our men's study and this kind of stuff, while at heart, if I was ever to flee from the law or ever to be in that place where I was going to go into hiding, I would hide out in the crags of the wild goats. Doesn't that just sound amazing? Where are you? I'm in the crags of the wild goats and I'm hiding from the law. Like, it just, it's just amazing. But that was just a, that's just for free. So, so David finds himself a fugitive because his father-in-law, Saul, wants him dead. Picture that. The man who walked your bride down the aisle is now hunting you to kill you, and you think you have in-law issues. <laughs> First Samuel 24 says, At the place where the road passes some sheepfold... Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now is your opportunity, David. Uh, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept up forward and cut off a piece of the Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he cut off Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my king. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King and and attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. That blows my mind. David had a divine opportunity. How many times Have we we walked into a place where all of a sudden the answer to whatever we've been praying for shows up right there, and we jump on it and say, thank you, Lord. It's done. The answer to David's prayers, David was praying, Lord, deliver me. God, I don't want to hide anymore. I'm hiding in caves, even though I'm hiding in a really cool place. Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. You said I'm going to be king. I want to be in the palace, Lord. And then in comes Saul by himself to use the bathroom in the cave that David is in. Ha oh, ha. He's unarmed. You've got your army in there with you. It's an easy fix to a very difficult problem. But yet God's timing wasn't right, was it? And I believe that if David had have taken that, adv- that advantage, if David had to kill Saul while he was doing that, every single time David would have went to relieve himself, he'd be looking over his back. Matthew says to live by the sword is to die by the sword. David walked in that place where he understood that God's timing is perfect. I think sometimes God's going to set us up God's going to put the answer to the promise right before our eyes. It's like the candy. And it's sitting right there, free for the taking. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, it's not time yet. Don't take it. And it's like, Lord, come on. I've been, pr- I've been praying for 30 years, God. Look, look, look at Abraham. You know, Abraham, the Lord said, I'm going to give you a child. And it's kind of like, you know, in the natural, just didn't make sense. I'm an old man, God. That can't happen. And then Sarah's like, why don't you take my concubine? And why don't you say, why don't you be with her? And he went with her for the night there. And Absalom was and uh, uh, I, Ishmael was born. Guys, that was a mistake. And God is going to give us opportunities to be able to take these things. But we have to say, Lord, even though this is what I've been praying for, is this what you have for me? God, I just pray that you get me out of this job. Lord, I don't like this job. Lord, I know you got something bigger for me. And all of a sudden, someone calls you up and says, hey, man, I don't know if you're looking for work, but I want you to come and work with me. I'm starting out a new company. It's like, yes, Done. And we leap into something, and then all of a sudden we're in a big mess because maybe this company folds because it's been been caught with its hand in the cookie jar. or Something happens where all of a sudden it's kind of like, God, that's not what you had for me because even though I know you had something else for me, I thought this was it, but I didn't take that time to seek your face. God's timing is perfect, and opportunities for advancement may come your way. But so often we live in a microwave generation, don't we? We want everything and we want it now. You ever found yourself throwing something in the microwave popcorn or you throw something in the microwave and you're watching the door and you're like, come on, come on. Like, oh my goodness, I'm cooking, I'm cooking rice and it says five minutes instead of the normal rice that takes 25 minutes. It's like, come on, five minutes, hurry up, I'm hungry. We have instant rice instant grits instant porridge but it's not quick enough we want it and we want it now but guys that's going to rob us of our inheritance if we don't take the time and seek the lord on this so when we know who we are in christ and we're willing to walk in the destiny that he has for us That's truly when we will see a supernatural satisfaction enter into our spirits. Guys, I'm going to be talking about this in February in in more detail. But the enemy has brought a lie over the body of Christ that we we put our mind on and we focus in on it. Do you know what that is? The lie is that we deserve to be happy. And we pursue happiness at whatever the cost. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say we're going to be happy. It says in Christ there is fullness of joy. And joy is completely different than happiness. See, I wonder if Job was happy when he lost his family. I wonder if Joseph was happy in prison or when he became falsely accused. I wonder if Jesus was happy when he was taking lashes for our sins. See, happiness is a fleeting, it, it lasts for moments. You know, I, I was so, I'm so happy about things like we had a dishwasher. Isn't that awesome that we have dishwashers? But our dishwasher broke down and we were waiting for parts for this dishwasher for like a month and a half. What brought me happiness has now brought frustration into my life. Where I wanted to take a baseball bat to the thing if we are in the pursuit of happiness, when all of a sudden we get that new car or we get that bracelet or we get that whatever it is that we want, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this, and then boom, we get it. It's like, yes, I'm happy. But tomorrow you won't be happy about it anymore. There'll be something else there to take that spot. Something else is like, oh, well, okay, well, I thought this would make me happy. It made me happy for a period of time, but now it doesn't, make, it doesn't satisfy anymore. Because happiness isn't, doesn't bring satisfaction. Joy does. Joy is everlasting. Joy is a hope in Christ knowing the author of joy. The Bible says the word happy is listed with the NSAB translation 20 times. But joy is listed 200 times. And that doesn't include the times where joy is in rejoice. In nearly every circumstance, the word happiness is used to connect to circumstances, but when joy is used, it relates more strongly to an attitude of the heart. God seems far more concerned that you live in joy rather than basking in the glow of happiness, for it fades like the setting sun. Contrary to common belief, real joy in Christ, and through Christ is not connected to circumstances or emotions. This joy isn't about financial stability or relationship prospects. It cannot be any of these things because this joy is not your own. Christ is taking over your life, apprehending you, birthing you in holiness, where joy in relationship with Him is a direct outcome. No question, happiness and joy are interrelated. But what must not be lost is that happiness is based on our current reality while joy is based on eternal principles. Happiness is caught up in the moment, but joy sees the big picture. Happiness is about what happens to you, but joy is about what is produced in you. Joy is awesome. We can go through difficult times, times that are absolutely lousy, and still walk through it in joy because we know who we are in Christ. You know what God has been showing me lately? I've been really thinking a lot about Paul and Silas. Here we got Paul and Silas, and they're locked up in prison, and it starts singing. They, they start singing these hymns at at midnight, and all of a sudden the 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 place shakes, and they get free, and they stay in the jail so the jailer doesn't get killed. You know the story. But before that happened, Paul was beat. Paul was man. The guy was was he was caned, and as he was beat, he was then tossed into the darkest part of the the prison, and he was thrown in, in, in shackles of some kind. So I imagine he wasn't staying in this jail in like the Holiday Inn Express. It was a really gross part of the jail, and he was probably chained in a place that wasn't comfortable. And here are these two guys, backs bleeding probably, bruises for sure, And they're sitting in that place where all of a sudden they say, let's worship the Lord together. And as they worship the Lord, the whole place shakes. How often do we pray selfish prayers? How often do we seek divine comfort? Lord, I just pray, God, that that Lord Jesus, that you would just allow traveling mercies for us. I just pray for health to come into my body. They're all great prayers. But I think sometimes God uses those things that we maybe don't like. And he produces a depth in us that we don't understand. How do I know that? Look at David again. You know, here David is as a a shepherd boy. And David is just working with the sheep, doing his things, but he's, his dreams are, are, are to be on the front line with his brothers. But he's the little kid. So he's got to look after the sheep. And you know what? This is me reading in between the lines right now, but I think that David prayed for his sheep. You know why? How many of us have animals in this room? Let me just see your hand if you have an animal. How many people have prayed for their animals? You know, how many, how many little kids pray for their animals? How many farmers pray for their crop? How many people just pray that, that Lord, just, this is what I desire, God. And I wonder, I wonder how many times David prayed, Lord, just keep away the lions and the bears. Keep my sheep safe, God. But yet, we see that as the lions and the bears came, that David would charge after them with a, with a sling and a stone. And you know what? As he would use that sling in the stone and bring down these animals and protect the sheep that God had given them to look after, I wonder if he had times where it's like, God, why aren't you listening to my prayers? God, I prayed specifically, keep away the lions, keep away the bears, and, and and Lord, they keep coming. I don't like this. I wanna I wanna look after my sheep. I want to do this, but Lord, you're not listening to me right now. This is important. And then I wonder on that moment when David stood on the battleground and he looked up at this giant, if the Lord said, if I had to listen to your prayers, you would not be prepared for this divine moment. And he looks down, he sees these five smooth stones, he sees his sling, and he says, thank you God for preparing me for such a time as this. My friends, those situations that come into our family, we got the Posts right now in Edmonton, and they just, uh, 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 little, um, what's, uh, Austin, little Austin just left intensive care. He's doing so well. But you know what Ian asked me? He says, you know, Lance, he says, my son asked me, why, why is God doing this to us? Why didn't he listen to our prayers and, and, and allow me to be healthy? How do I answer that, Pastor? I don't know. I don't know why these situations happen, but I do know that God loves Austin. And I do know that God's got a call on Austin's life. You know what? The darkest time for my life was the 10 years without having kids. Because every single year, as you get older and you get older and you get older, you get to the place where it's just kind of like, God, I'm going to be an old man with young kids. And I want to be able to keep up with my kids, Lord. I want to be able to play with them and not just say, go go play, just go do your thing, because I can't. And I remember being angry with God, and I remember being upset with God. And I remember someone saying to me one time, I don't remember who it was, but they said, you know what, Lance, God is preparing you for your future. And I said to them, I don't care what God is doing in my life right now. I don't care. Lord, if that's what you're doing right now, you're preparing me for other people who can't have kids, that I can be a blessing to them, then choose somebody else. Because God, I just want the answer to the promise. But the truth of the matter is, is I would never change those 10 years for anything because Cindy and I have had a faith to be able to pray with people and see babies come. Cindy and I have been able to minister to people and say, I know what you're going through. Cindy and I have been able to love on people and, and, and minister to people and see God move in people's lives. And even though I didn't want it, I said with the Lord with my own own words, God, I don't want this. I thank the Lord that he didn't listen to my prayer. And he said, son, I'm preparing you for something. You need to trust me. Entitlement is so predominant in our society. Do not fall victim to its seductions. Seek his face find out who you are step into your destiny that god has for you and that culture of blessing will surround you everywhere you go do you want to hear my life verse i've shared it before here but if maybe you haven't heard it my life verse the one that lord just spoke so clearly into my spirit is psalms 512 it says, for you bless the, the, you bless the godly, O Lord, you surround them with your shield of love. How many people want the shield of love around them? How many people want to have that shield of favor that says, God, no matter what circumstance I go into, positive, negative, may I be saturated with your presence, God. God, I know that life is tough. And I know sometimes we get dealt things or given things that we don't think is fair or we don't really enjoy in life. But consider it pure joy when trials come that he's crazy about you and he's preparing you for something in the future. Once we understand who we are and we understand our destiny in Christ, Those two things put together is an unstoppable combination, my friends. Just stand with your feet. your church is not a schizophrenic bride. But yet, Lord, in this right now, we have people who are just running around with all kinds of identity issues. Father God, I just ask God for every single person in this room this morning, God, That Lord, right now at this very moment, you would show them how much you love them. God, that right now at this very moment, they would embrace the destiny that you have over individuals in this room. God, we don't have to pretend to be somebody that we're not. God, we don't have to try to be good and try to be this person, Lord Jesus but we can step in and say, God, you created me as me. And as we learn, Lord, who we are, and we start to walk as sons and daughters of you, Father God, something just clicks where all of a sudden we understand that if God is for us, who can be against us? And Lord, when those trials come, God Hard things are coming to every single person in here. And Lord, I'm not speaking death over anybody, but Lord, the truth of the matter is, is every single one of us is going to walk in crisis. Our moms, our dads, our brothers and sisters are going to pass. Things are going to happen that, Lord, are very difficult to be able to walk through. And God, at those times, the enemy loves to, to whisper out in our ear and say, Where's your God? If He was alive, if He was really who He said He was, then why is this happening right now? And Lord, and when that lie gets placed upon our ears, that is the opportunity to say, I don't know why this is happening, but I trust God that He has got my hands, He's got my life in the palm of His hand. So Lord, I just pray God that you would launch us into what you have for us. That God, we can step into that role because God, if one of us in this room is not fulfilling our mandate, then God, we are an incomplete church. Lord, we need every single person for we are the body of Christ. And no matter what role or what function, Father God, is not happening, Lord Jesus. We are incomplete without them. Strengthen them, Lord. Strengthen my friends. Bring forth a resolve through their spirit. And God, if they're going through it right now, God, I ask that you bless them. Fill them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you have been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.